0: Welcome to the Let's Talk International Education podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Benny, founder of Top Schools. We're here for you, whether you're a parent, grandparent, a teacher. As long as you're interested in education, you're in the right place. We work hard to bring relevant, up-to-date and possibly controversial information on all things related to education. In this first season, we've invited education leaders from around the world, as well as parents just like you and I. We're pleased you found us. Don't forget to subscribe. And here's today's episode. Good afternoon, everyone. And welcome to this head talk with myself, Ruth Benny from Top Schools. And I'm delighted to be joined uh, this afternoon by the leadership team of Bloom KKCA Academy. Um, So we have Renee Bowie, founder and head of school. And we have May Chan, head advisor of STEM and ECS program. And Andrew Kwan, school supervisor. So welcome, everyone. I uh, thank you very much for, for joining us and welcome to those of you who are listening. Um, let's start with, um, with yourself, Andrew. Um, hi, Andrew. Hi, hi, Ruth. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Um, so I know that, um, you know, I think we'll get into the details in a, in a little bit, but Bloom is not your traditional school. Is that fair to say? And um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your thoughts on traditional schools and how Bloom perhaps isn't traditional.
1: So so I would say well well, thank you, Ruth for asking those questions and welcome um, parents, uh, friends, educators, students who are, who are curious about Bloom. Um, I would say um, one way I think about it is 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 you know I wouldn't say I, I, yeah I, I want to caveat by saying I, I, I probably won't use the word traditional, but I would say, um, schools, kind of you know, globally speaking, um, for the last 150 years, they were designed for a specific ethos in mind, right? Um, we had a sort of post-industrial age economy where we needed a lot of, um, shall we say, sort of like office workers that were sort of um, given instructions from high-level management. And their job was to kind of execute according to the instructions that were given. Um, and that was sort of like how education has been designed for, right? To make sure um, everyone reaches a certain level of competency in in you know writing, math, executing instructions. So it was very focused on process and execution. Uh, but uh, Ruth, as you you know as you know better than anybody else, we've entered the sort of really, I would say even you know, in, you know we're, we're a little bit past the information age, right? We're in the age of AI, We're in the age of bioengineering, and it is sort of a creative-driven world, where um, you know knowledge workers, entrepreneurs, they're no longer necessarily executing instructions given up by some you know some higher management or from the CEO. Every team at every level in a company or in an organization is supposed to be self-driven, self-organizing, and to do that, right, you really sort of need a lot more creativity, a lot more. Um, sort of decision-making at the micro level, everybody needs to be more entrepreneurial. So I would say uh, because the world has changed, Bloom's mission is to make sure we're readying all the students for that kind of an um, age and economy where everyone needs to be more entrepreneurial no matter what profession you're in.
0: I, I don't think anyone would dispute that. And do you think that the majority of schools, both in, I think you, you guys are of background from the States, so my background is UK or Hong Kong or Canada, you know, aren't most of the schools still somewhat traditional, to use that word? So um, mm.
1: uh, I would say, at least in the in the great question, Ruth, in the schools that I've attended, there, there are... Um, almost anything but traditional. So I'm um, very fortunate to have been a graduate of both Harvard University and Stanford University. And I would say sort of, you know, um, for example, right, Stanford is extremely, extremely innovative in everything they do. Um, you know, uh, we've had one of the earliest computer science departments. I, I don't know how many tens of years ago, how many decades ago that has been, it's decades and decades ago, but in this in this decade, I think what they're looking at, even from a computer science perspective, is that computer science should be cross pollinating with all these other fields. So they started like a computer science plus art uh, program. They started a computer science plus you know history program. They started all kinds of these sort of CS plus other subjects mm-hmm. kind of a program. Uh, to give you an example. And um, they just started a school on sustainability and climate change, right? They're working on, you know, previously Stanford has been working on climate change for a long time, but it was kind of spread out in different departments. They wanted to really sort of make sure that, you know, all these different faculty from different branches that have something to do with um, sustainability, whether it's uh, sort of the, the hardcore tech part, whether it's designing economic systems to incentivize adoption of of, you know, like renewable energy, for example, are all under sort of like one roof or one initiative. So, Ruth, I I, I would, you know, that's a great question. I think um, majority of schools in the whole world probably are, but I've been really fortunate that most of the schools that I've attended, uh, whether it's at a sort of post-K-12 level or the K-12 level, are extremely innovative. Um, So, you know, uh, so to me, it it makes complete sense that Bloom would sort of trailblaze a path for Hong Kong in terms of pushing the envelope of where technology and entrepreneurship and innovation is going? Mm,
0: no, it's a great answer. And I think my question was a little unfair because obviously
1: it's not black no, and white. not perfectly fair. And I, I love All your of this- question.
0: All of the schools that we talk to are somewhere on the continuum of, of innovation, but I, I just want to remind um, everyone that's listening, and, and this is crib from your from your website, um, your school prioritises the mindsets and skills of adaptable innovators and equips students with these two world languages, self-agency, global competence and the desire to contribute. There's a lot in there, and uh, I want to turn now to Renee, Renee Bowie, um, founder and head of the school. Hi, Renee. Hi, Ruth. Thank you so much for having us. No, it's a pleasure. So how do you do this at Bloom? That, that's
2: your, is that your mission statement? It is. I mean, we're designing a school of innovation, a bilingual school of innovation, And I think um, just to respond to what Andrew said, it's great to even talk among our own leadership teams because I get inspired by them. He mentioned ethos. And I think really what we're responding to and trying to create is a different ethos. So um, what we're doing is we're trying to deliberately, intentionally give students and teachers the time, the space, the environment and culture to develop those 21st century skills that we all hear about all the time. Um, because I think many schools recognize that these are important skills, but the, the struggle is to find the space and the time for that. And then of course, for the leadership and the whole school to have the desire to teach those skills. So instead of clinging on to an old curriculum and relentlessly testing students on them, um, by doing that, you really cannot achieve the mental agility and the collaborative thinking that we're talking about here. So for us, it's not just about adding on a great STEM program and hiring you know, a great STEM advisor, um, but in it's in the fundamental design of the school, thinking about how to prepare for that future. So, yes, it is at the heart of our mission.
0: So, and I know, I know a lot of schools are doing a lot of amazing things, but I know you, you're talking about design skills and design thinking, and um, these are terms that we hear, and I think as parents, um, we probably don't fully understand them. Could could you explain how you're um, implementing that?
2: Yes. Um, So design thinking is an approach to problem solving that actually started decades ago in the 70s, maybe even before then, uh, and was popularized um, by the Stanford Design School, by companies like IDEO and people like uh, David Kelly and his brother, um, Tom Kelly. And um, so but it's really been adopted across many different sectors now. Uh, In fact, people are evolving away from design thinking as well. But there are definitely uh, real, real strengths to it that reflect the problems of our time and how to how to respond. So it begins with uh, having empathy, um, I, uh, defining a problem, the scope of a problem, ideation and coming up with ideas in a in a generative and productive, fruitful way uh, and then creating and prototyping uh, and then testing it and then iterating. So we have our own version of that in a class that we called explore, create, share because we're an educational institution and not like a consultancy or design firm. So for us, it's about teaching students to engage with this process of problem solving. And we challenge our students to explore real world issues, uh, whether it's um, like this week in our summer program, we're looking at how to live sustainably in Hong Kong and looking at um, water. We looked at land the week before and we'll look at farm, and t- farm to table uh, next week. And we use, I was saying like, we give them the time and space so so we have the class time, but we also have uh, and facilities. We have a wonderful maker space, a steam lab, a food tech lab, our garden, um, and actually we have weekly field trips. So really the whole city is our campus, is our facility, so to speak. Uh, and we also have things like campfire and forest school and a STEM-focused science term um, in terms of giving these skills time and practice time to practice the, the design thinking skills and I'm okay. sure many can share more details about that
0: yeah I think that's very familiar if if I personally would would call it a more of an inquiry-based program and, and so let me try to contextualize that for parents I think we're more familiar with that phrase you are using um, the IPC uh, which is the international primary curriculum which is an inquiry-based program is it not
2: Yes, it is. Um, I, I will say that we're actually becoming an IPC school, so we're be- uh, we're about to launch into uh, both IPC and for our we have a pilot secondary program. We have um, IMYC, the International Middle Years Program, um, and the idea though, even this year, we've been approaching it very similar to IPC, which is you take a theme and you approach it from many different angles across disciplines. So, for example, the most recent unit we did, we looked at the post-pandemic world. And it's say for the grade five, six students, they looked at uh, a century later, how might the human species survive uh, if it were plagued by pandemics, and they looked into exploring space. Uh, And so everything from in robotics, learning how to program VEX uh, Martian rovers, to uh, looking at how like what type of food we might need, like how to dry food, and going to visit um, these hoi mei, which are the dried seafood stores that you see on streets in Hong Kong, to the Space Museum, uh, reading the novel The Martian. So I hope that gives you like a concrete idea of how we actually execute these units. Um, And the IPC is a wonderful curriculum um, aligned with UK standards that gives us this backbone. Um, And we... Take that as a starting off point. And the wonderful thing is it's a very modular and you can add to it. It's not limiting at all, um, but gives us this platform.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's actually becoming more common in particularly in Hong Kong. Um, it does make sense. And I know that we're going to um, go into a little bit more detail with some of those like weekly field trips, et cetera, with May. I just want to ask you, I'm not sure how much you want to say about this, the planning for the secondary program and the curriculum there. Um, say Say whatever you would like to say.
2: Thank you. Yeah. So we're really excited about the secondary because the primary is building the foundation and the creative mindset. It's so important to retain that creativity that children, everyone is born with. It's just natural. Uh, Schools sometimes can can squeeze it out of us. But if we give them that time and space, we keep it alive and we give them opportunities to, to build skills around that creativity. Then by middle school, we're talking about um, projects where you you need more research. You need more understanding of what's already being done. So we have speakers come in. We still have field trips, uh, but the IMYC adds to the academic depth of the projects. And then we transition to, in terms of exit qualifications, the IGCSE and the A-levels. So it's a UK-aligned curriculum beginning with the IMYC. uh, Well, actually, technically the IPC, but our core academic subject. In primary school are not entirely just UK aligned, uh, more globally aligned, um, and we chose the A levels because of actually the options. That it provides. So not everyone in our school wants to go to the UK. Many do want to apply to the US or North America or Australia or even uh, within Asia. But I think the A-levels is globally very well recognized. And I love how because it doesn't require as many subjects um, for graduation as say something like the IB, which is also, of course, an excellent curricular choice, it gives us more room as an innovative school to to innovate and to add our own curriculum. For example, we have a very core program which is our entrepreneurship program. And we're actually powered by uh, Cocoon Foundation, uh, the leading entrepreneurship education institute in Hong Kong, funded by the Jockey Club. And they've already done this in over 40 schools. So part of, I mean, Andrew is also an advisor. I'm an advisor in Cocoon. um, And we've been actually really working closely with them from the start um, and really wanting to so there are all these programs that are plugged into schools and expose students to these ideas. But we want to be a school of entrepreneurship where it's embedded in our culture. So I think that's um, so stay tuned. We have a pilot program. Uh, maybe I'll say a word about it at the end about how to find out more. But mainly it's that um, it's the continuity, the, sorry, the continuation extension of what we're already doing with our primary school, which currently goes up to grade six. So we're hoping, fingers crossed, we can open grade seven by next year, seven to nine by next year.
0: Yeah, no, excellent news that it will be a through school. Um, same location as well, hopefully. Same yes. location. I mean, I, it's not, A-levels are not known for their innovation, if I may say. So I, are you saying that, you know, a student could, could maybe manage three A-levels and then have room and space and time to do all of that innovation that you would provide on top? I'm so
2: glad you asked that. That's a very pertinent and, and astute question. Have um, you asked me two years ago whether we would choose A-levels? I would probably have said no. I was surprised, um, yeah. <laughs> and after exploring all these different available, recognized options, I think um, it actually reflects the spirit of our school, which is to strike a balance between East and West, between what works classically mm-hmm. and what is progressive um, in order to find the right way to deal with the future. So we're not trying to be novel or new for innov- for, for newness sake. Um, we really want to keep what's working and continue on and give our kids more options. Many students will want to go to traditional mainstream colleges. Those schools, like Andrew was saying, so many of them are actually becoming very innovative. So getting in is... Uh, while traditional is not um, not straightforward, and I think that they do still require though uh, a, a recognized exit qualification exam, right? So I think that uh, learning how to master those types of assessment is something assessments is something that we teach. We're not sh- we don't shy away from. It's a reality of the system. Um, so we're sort of about being smart about it and contextualizing it. It is a part of education. Uh, for good for you know better or worse it is there so how do you cope smartly with it so that it doesn't affect your social emotional mental health in a uh in an all-consuming way and for people who are maybe a little less inclined to just be purely academic what are the other options that can still help you thrive not not still but actually could be the your ticket to your own flourishing and success um so it's this balanced view and a levels allows us to actually focus on three subjects i think that's a very sensible number um there's of course also the epqs with a levels for uh, extended research and work um and there's it's a time tested you know test with a lot of resources and a teaching uh, network around it so there are many benefits for our teachers as well and similar to the ipc having that backbone gives parents some level of reassurance and gives us that liberty to then innovate and do all these other things on top of it or in parallel.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting response, Renee. Um, yeah, as, as a mother of children about to embark on the A level program, it does make perfect sense. Um, I, I want to re- um, bring May into the conversation. Hi, May, waiting patiently. Um, <laughs> hi, Wolf. how are Thank you? you? Yeah, great. When I really- I just want to say that it's wonderful to be invited to be part
3: of the founding team. I think the fact that I am being invited here already says a lot about us being an innovative school.
0: Yeah, so because May- I'm not traditional
3: trained as a teacher. Yeah.
0: Right, I see. So May, you're here as head advisor of STEM and ECS program. So when I first read ECS, I'm thinking extracurricular and what's the, <laughs> S, what's the Um, So Renee already touched on it. ECS, tell us what that is at Bloom, May. Um, ECS is our uh, version of
3: uh, project-based learning, but it's A really thoughtful way of presenting it, especially for primary, because uh, we take um, the Stanford Design Thinking model, which I'm sure um, you're familiar with, and some of our audience might. And I think Andrew mentioned it lightly um, in terms of its uh, steps: uh, empathize and then design, ideate, uh, test, prototype, test. You know, very similar. And then combine that together with the engineering design process, which adds another dimension of communication in there. And then, of course, if you just do additive, it's going to be way too complicated for primary. So we simplified it into explore, create, share. And um, what I love about it is that if you go to our website, you'll see that uh, diagram that we draw for each step in the middle. There is a, a, a really nice chunk that is called reflect. And I think that is uh, brings back in what Renee was saying about you know that positive thinking that learning from failure that not being afraid of a level exams <laughs> later on when they're there is that when we are going through each step and there is a reflection cycle, then um, students always have a chance to learn from their mistakes and and that's what we we want to encourage, especially in the uh, younger age.
0: So um just to play devil's advocate for a moment, though, but isn't it sort of the same as an e- ECA program or an you know, extracurricular? Children have always done extra sports, music, arts and crafts, whatever. Is it is it different or is it similar or is the
3: reflection? No, no, off? it's definitely different. I think part of it is that um, having me, uh, you know, a, a a decade uh, of experience in Silicon Valley with like Lockheed Martin working for NASA, Microsoft, Um, I basically learned about, you know, iterative design, um, iterative improvement, right? Um, You never have failures. You just have prototypes. You just keep increasing uh, in your model. And that is um, beautifully designed into our Bloom KKCA uh, primary program in that we have... um, Morning, as you saw in the video earlier, that that was such a, I, I love watching that video, is that in the morning, there's English, math, Chinese right, the explicit teaching. And then in afternoon, we do our ECS. We do the arts and design and, and uh, we do our projects. We go to the makerspace. As uh, Renee has mentioned, we got makerspace, the steam room, the food tech lab, the um, vertical farm, the community farm, the mindfulness room, you know, all these different uh, theme rooms are meant to be used daily. And that's because you have that uh, cycle Right where you have the explicit learning in the morning and then applied learning in the afternoon to solidify the foundation so that it's not just memorization, but actually, you know, digestion of the information and then really applying it. And and I call that really the, you know, iterative design that is very, uh, very much similar to, you know, rapid prototyping, all those different models (laughs) that is very typical of engineering lingo. And then, additionally, of course, Renee already mentioned about the weekly field trip, um, and and you know, I guess you might ask, why weekly? Why 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 does it have to be so frequent? Um, it it goes back into the explore portion, right? If you don't explore enough, you cannot collect enough big data, and and every single one of us, this is our big data processor, and if you don't expose the students to enough. Of their community, the the local problems, you know, even even the weather, you let them feel the weather, how hot it is, you know, and and understand climate change, right? let them feel the rain. um all that comes in into that observational uh, skill, which is it's it's so much about that explore stage, especially in primary,
0: yeah, yeah. and it is so, so lacking in in many of Hong Kong's um more you know traditional schools sorry to use that word again um i'm going to come back probably back to renee to ask um a couple more questions and um, for those of you who are watching if you have any questions um for our panelists i believe that there's a chat box or some way for you to to ask and we'll we'll ask them live um what was i going to ask so you talked about the um the ecs and the weekly field trips oh renee i have a question probably for you but whoever feel free how do you equip teachers how do you you know hire teachers and train them and and bring them on board because let's face it they're they're not quite trained for this type of teaching are they um
2: that, that's a great question. Um, it's definitely true that part of the reason why schools have evolved so slowly is this precise problem. And I would argue that teacher education is actually at the heart of educational reform. Um, and I cannot say that I am already an expert in all of this and, you know, very much I myself have a learner and growth mindset. It's about having the heart and the the vision and the direction right. And then you really reach out for help. Um, And I think that that's why we have so many advisors. I think we're a bit unlike other schools that maybe emphasize their board we of course very much respect and love our board but i think we also rely on um, and seek the help of educators as advisors for example um from high tech high we have larry rosenstock who is the founder um, of high tech high and the principal for for like two decades and they're the leading one of the leading project-based learning schools uh, in the world and uh also um people like Orly Friedman, who worked at Khan Lab School, was the head of their lower school there, advising us, um, working with our teachers and leadership team, uh, giving us their time, their advice. They're also building schools and advising schools, so it's great to see what's happening in other um, parts of the world as well. Going on a lot of school visits, I've visited over 30 innovative schools and researched, our whole team has researched many of them, and we share our insights, right? I mean that's the great thing about education. It is itself collaborative. So it's not competitive. I think it's about like, uh, if you have a way of doing something on Twitter, like teachers love to share. And so that's another way, like, but the curation, I think is how, how we add value for our team, because yes, it's all out there, but just as children, I mean, students are challenged by the overwhelming abundance of information. So are professional teachers, and they have a full, full-on full job. So I think my role and the leadership team's role is to actually highlight the areas that we need to focus on at different periods. So we're in the period of setting up the school, and the systems and the culture matter the most. So I think right now that's our focus, figuring out the balance between traditional academics, which you need. I mean, you can't read and write, what project can you do? Who would ever hire to do anything? Um, so, you know, the basics you must have. And there are time-tested ways to do that. So there's no need to reinvent the wheel for some things. But there's also evolving research, even on reading and the brain. And even, you know, um, leading people... Um, experts in literacy are challenged periodically. So I think that um, it's our job to, to be aware of the research, the trends, and then to direct their attention. So social, emotional learning and mental health, for example, for this year, this past year with the fifth wave was a huge area of focus. And normally that may not have been the first thing to to come to mind um, in an innovative school. But I think that taking care of our own staff well-being and our um, student well-being is and was and is a core primary concern right now. So so how do we do it? We obviously also try to hire people who have experience starting up innovative schools, who have uh, backgrounds in arts, design, sustainability, um, and also that desire. To really be in a school where you have to roll up your sleeves, go on field trips every week. I mean, it sounds good in theory, but when you have to lead 50 kids on a field trip in the heat, uh, figure out logistics, even crossing the road safely, it's a lot of stress. So it isn't for everyone, I have to say. But I think that over time, when we get used to this approach, a lot of things about the pedagogy will make more sense to people, um, and parents also have to adjust to what a school day looks like, uh, what the home learning looks like, what assessments look like report cards, what they look like, all of that. I think, uh, incrementally, um, we have to test and we have to change and keep improving on. So having the teachers who already have some experience, either working at an IB school an inquiry based school with IPC, um, or people who come in with this hunger, this creative energy and wanting to learn. Um, that's, that's really, I think the secret to this and, uh, I hope more schools get to have this experience.
0: Yeah, it feels—it feels for a family to join your school or for teachers to join your school. There's an element of joining a movement, um, in a way. Um, yeah. I want to—we probably should have started to give some stats. Obviously, your primary school you opened last year in Sham Shui Po. How many students on the roster
2: currently, Renee? We have fifty-four students. And growing this year? Uh, entering this year, we have close to eighty students. Amazing. Um, We have rolling admissions, so hopefully that number will grow as well.
0: Of course. And we have some um, opportunities for parents to visit you and chat with you um, at the end of of this talk today. Um, One of the skills that you've identified as necessary for future is um, proficiency in in Chinese language. Um, So... I'm not sure which of you would like to um, take this on. Obviously, it's a skill that's very much in demand. Hong Kong is, is almost unique in its linguistic um, background, I feel. Um, so, yeah, interesting that you are a bilingual school. And what does that mean for you at Bloom?
2: Um, I will start, but I really will turn it over, give my time to May and Andrew. Andrew's Chinese is far superior to mine, um, and May is also fluent in Putonghua and integrates it into ECS, which I think is remarkable and unique for our school. I think the philosophy behind it is that we're serving not abstract people, but people who live in Hong Kong, uh, whatever their backgrounds. We have a very diverse population, but they, we all share one thing. We live in the city, so we want to prepare kids for this the, the future of this region, We want them to serve the planet and the world, but they will they will be living somewhere. right? Uh, And so we know that the Greater Bay Area offers many opportunities for for culture, for work, for uh, life opportunities and to access that and to really communicate, assimilate and and to enjoy all of, all of that, you, you do need to have some language skills. You may not have to be a native speaker, but similar to English as a global language, I think uh, Chinese is, is becoming increasingly so, and uh, that's, that's why we, we make it a bilingual. And so that means in terms of class time, campfire, field trips, uh, all of that is um, alternating between, in terms of time, 50-50, and alternating between the Chinese medium team and the English medium team. Um, and we have many bilingual teachers as well. So I'm going to turn it over to May and Andrew, whoever wants to speak first.
0: Let's come to Andrew first, shall we? Well,
1: thank you, Ruth. Um, really uh, great question. I, I would, uh, I think May can speak about some of the particulars, but I would say our mission is to kind of go beyond bilingualism, right? As you know, um, Ruth, uh, you know, sort of lingu- linguistics or language is kind of access um, to deeper to deeper levels. So, for example, culture. So, I tend to think of it at least a, as a stacked or pyramid model, and we aspire to to get beyond a bilingual um, kind of a mindset towards a bicultural kind of a mindset, where your language, um, you know, you're empowered by language to access deeper understanding about cultures, whether it's history, whether it's art, whether it's you know philosophy, sort of things that are sort of deeper beyond language. And I think May can talk about maybe some of the particulars around that. But thank you for asking this question, Ruth. Mm.
0: Now, I, I, there's a term I read many, many years ago, which is language culture. You can't truly um, understand the language unless you also understand the culture. I can't remember who wrote it. But um so, May, you work this into all of the E... Um,
3: UCS. EBS?
1: Yes.
0: Yes.
3: Um, I, actually, with an amazing team of teachers, um, especially our Chinese team. Um, so in our last term, uh, we uh, due to COVID um, because of um, future restrictions, we d- did a lot more with our vertical farm and community farm and making sure that they still, you know, vertical get- farm. Get a- sorry. Vertical, vertical farm. Yeah, like uh where we basically have them uh build it vertical farm where the plants can, you know, water each other's self, watering bottles that oh, are recycled from uh from plastic bottles, actually okay. upcycled. Uh we, we we have each student actually make it their own and some of them even okay. brought it home. They can- yeah, 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 exactly. Okay, cool, yes. Yeah. So. But 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 uh uh the reason why I don't use the term aquaponics is y- you could also still have soil for, for vertical farm. Yeah. So um, sorry about that. I was running ahead of myself. So uh, I was talking about the Chinese bilingual portion. So what we did is remember how uh, Renee was mentioning about our post pandemic uh, theme. Um, And we were reading the Martian for ELA. Well, in CLA, we study about all the different ways that uh, food is being preserved throughout Chinese history and Chinese culture. And believe me, there are tons. And Hong Kong being um, basically a port, and an island historically, right, um, there's so much fishery. And that's why we went to Xiang and walked the entire Hoi uh, Mei Gai, which is uh, basically the, the street with all the dried uh, food from, from, you know, more exotic ones, like uh, like a dried um, seahorse, to to less exotic ones, such as nuts and just berries. Um, But it it, it helped them understand the entire context. And then what's so amazing about learning the culture is that later on, uh, for doing an entire model of sort of like the Martian, uh, we decided as a, a class to plant sweet potatoes instead of potatoes. And um, and the st- uh, students were able to, to justify why. It's because in Chinese culture, we can eat the leaves of sweet potatoes. So you don't have to wait nearly as long as you would have to as in the movie for eating the potatoes. So that's really about that culture aspect that Andrew was mentioning so that it's it's not only studying the history and the culture of Chinese food preservation that inspired them but that that ECS the explore create share the create part now you can see how it comes into fruitation in um in sweet potatoes
0: yeah so in terms of the diversity of the school and what are the um, sort of requirements for children to either have um, an amount of Chinese or English to enter and to access the curriculum, what would you say to that? Is that a
2: question for you, Renee? Sure. Um, so we do have an assessment, and it does include Chinese from grade one onwards. Um, and I would say that the requirement for grade one to three is rather low, the threshold, because... Um, The whole point is we're here to teach you. Um, But at the same time, we also, for for older students, uh, I think people don't need to be too intimidated because um, it's about the desire, the family's choice to want their children to have this exposure and immersion because we actually have a pathway that is Chinese for non-native speakers. Uh, So we call it Chinese additional language and Chinese as a main language. So um, I think that that makes it a lot more accessible. And of course, like if we're going on a field trip, you're listening to it and, and people are speaking it, but it, like nobody's forcing you to speak it. But ideally, the idea is that the more you hear it, the more natural it becomes. And it's the contextual, practical use of the language that you're um, getting exposure to. So that's um so I, I think that it, it's less about your capacity, your capability and proficiency, but more about that family's um, mm. uh, desire to have that. Seems like quite quite an inclusive approach to welcoming
0: families who who opt in to that to what to what you're offering yes
1: um,
0: we are running out of time I, I just want to ask you we, we spoke I think when we were you were at the very very beginning of this journey even before you opened the school and it's now been operational for an entire year so many congratulations um maybe we could end with uh, maybe each of you just just a highlight which is one of the highlights um in action, bloom in action from your first year. Well,
3: oh, of because I'm all about the practical applications. Um, so yeah, um, we in the uh the other uh grades I didn't uh, highlight is actually grade three and four uh for the post-pandemic theme, um, which we just um you know, because of co uh the fifth wave, uh to be honest, we just adjust the entire theme because we were supposed to do Hong Kong history, and then we're like, okay, the present is so uh going to be, you know, memorable for the child's growth that we have to change the theme. So we did. So that adaptive was really awesome. And the second thing um, is that the grade three, four, their theme uh, end up uh, with the driving question was about how do we make sure that earth And sustainability and adaptability survive with post pandemic. And um, with that driving question, uh, the students were so creative that we end up doing a project on hybrid animal design in terms of what kind of you know superpowers would this hybrid animal these hybrid animal need to have in order to flourish, not only survive but flourish in the post pandemic world. And I want to bring that in simply because it's a Great combination of imagination, which emphasizes design thinking, and things that are not robotic and not uh, teachable simply by uh, regurgitation, but really just by doing it again and again and again by practice. Um, combine combining that imagination, creativity, together with the practicality of what they have learned so far, you know, what does it mean by self-sustaining? Even the word self-sustaining was what they were learning. So all that, you know, I I just, yeah, that was great, hybrid
0: animals, yeah. Amazing, Um, Andrew?
1: Um, Thank you, Ruth. Uh, So uh, it's been a fast year, you know, sort of, you know, that, that happened. Uh, But sort of out of many highlights, one of them I would say is um, one of the top three local universities had a professor reach out to us and say, hey, uh, we're trying to, you know, uh, metaverse technologies is becoming, it's going to be important. And we're trying to see if there are ways to adapt um, sort of like a college level course, but all the way down to really something that's just, you know, introduction leveled, right, for a primary kind of an audience. And they reached out and said, hey, would you, you know, we know that you have a reputation for, you know, both being run by really innovative folks for innovative parents who are looking for innovative solutions for an innovative world. Can we work with you? Can we bring a program? Can we pilot a program with you to see if um, your students might like sort of this metaverse, you know, some, some simple metaverse workshops uh, level for their age. And um so I think that to me, that's uh even within a single year of coming online, that's proof from some of the top educators that hey, you're doing some great work. We want to work together. So I'm really grateful to the whole team um, to what they've accomplished in just one year. I know I've been, I know they have done a lot more work before this one year of coming online, but I think this one year alone has already made a lot of progress. Thank you, Ruth.
0: A great endorsement. And finally, Renee, one of your highlights.
2: I think it would be the four school week. Um, so this is a signature program of our school. We have for we have a lot of nature uh, expeditions all the time, but this is a full day, seven days in nature. Uh, and this coming year, we are going to add uh, overnight trips as well. Um, and basically, I loved it because we're school about innovation and sustainability. Sustainability is this abstract multipolabic word that that like, you know, for kids, it's like, what? But we want them to first know what we're protecting and understanding direct experience of nature, just being out there, seeing the beauty of it, spending time, not rushed, not a like three-hour hike, but just the full day learning music, learning Chinese, science, all of that, sitting on the grass, having time to. Uh, Learn zip lining, archery. Some kids learned to bike for the first time. Uh, and we saw sides of our, our students that we'd never seen before. They collaborated cross grades, uh, enjoyed each other's company, the team, our staff bonded. And um, I think it's like wetting their appetite about why it matters to protect this world, to enjoy each other and to, to come together as a community to do that. So I really Look forward to the next forest school adventure that we have, and um, yeah, that that was a major highlight.
0: Um, it's amazing, Ryan. If you can put the slide up for for sharing for opportunities to to connect. Um, but while Ryan does that, it's just it occurs to me that innovation and sustainability are. Almost sort of odd bedfellows, but you know I wouldn't necessarily put them together. When you think of a school of innovation, you think tech, but you're respecting you know the nature, which is typically a lot of regio. It's 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 so interesting, and I and I'm so pleased that um, yeah. It's so pleased that you got to you shared that with um those that joined um, live today this afternoon. Thank you for joining and for the, all of those that will watch this on the catch up. It's been such an interesting discussion. um thank you to Renee um, Bowie, May Chan, and Andrew Kwan from Bloom KKca Academy. um there are three ways that you can connect with the school um join an upcoming school tour, join an upcoming info session, where's where more great content just like we've had this afternoon or speak to one of the admissions team um, directly and we will share this with all of those that registered and couldn't make it and for anyone else as well. I'm so excited to come back and see you guys. I'm out of quarantine in a few days and um, please invite me <laughs> and um, thank you for joining us this afternoon. All right, have a good rest of the day. Okay, thank over you, and out. Ruth. Thank
1: you, Ru. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Thank, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the Hong Kong education system and parenting and education news and trends, check out our back catalogue, all available to download for free. You can also head over to our YouTube, Facebook or website for lots of free useful information for parents and educators. Links in the show notes. Until next time.